Hello guys and welcome to the Film Angle. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. And if you managed to tune in to last week's episode, thank you very much if you did, you'd find Alex and myself discussing the latest film from legendary American film writer and director Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, our first deep dive into a specific film. Yeah, I really enjoyed just having one subject to talk about. I uh, I really liked The Card Counter. I thought it was a great film. And in the spirit of what we've been doing so far in this show and trying to ease ourselves into the world of podcasting, we are once again doing something a little different, aren't we, Alex? Yeah, yeah. We are sharing a list, in essentially, our, our kind of top five favourite comfort films. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world's in a pretty bad place right now. Really? I thought we were doing pretty well. Uh, well, you know, it's a week after recording. Who knows where we might be uh, in the world, but it's not great right now as we record. And sometimes cinema takes you away from the troubles of the real world. And I think the films that we're going to discuss today, uh, that being said, I don't know what your films are, um, but I assume these films <laughs> are going to be the kind of films that we both sink into when we just want to feel a certain way and uh, just relax. Yeah, the world is pretty shitty right now, to, to not put it lightly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so these are the movies that I picked that kind of make the world a bit of a lighter place for me. And the, the, my go-tos whenever I'm feeling a bit glum or just need something to chill out with in front of. Um, yeah, these are always my go-to films. We'll get into it, but some of mine are like happy and some of mine are a little bit... Uh, more like bringing up emotions that maybe aren't happiness, but make me feel... Uh, oh, a bit of catharsis me, in there, yeah? Yeah, like make me feel thoughtful or maybe uh, longing. Uh, let's just jump into it, shall we? Because uh, I'm, I'm eager to know what your films are, and I'm sure you're eager to know what mine are. <laughs> okay, well, I'll start off then with uh, my number five pick. Uh comes from Legendary Animation Studio from Japan, which is Studio Ghibli. I no doubt a lot of you are aware of uh, Studio Ghibli's work and Hayao Miyazaki's work. Uh, the film I picked from him specifically was Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, it's crazy um, how much a Japanese animated film from the 80s translates so well into modern day life. And it's such a perfect allegory for young people who suddenly come of age and have to deal with the obstacles of life throws at them and learn as they go along. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service, it follows a young girl who comes from a long line of witches in her family. Uh, we discover that there comes a time in the young witch's life where there, as a rite of passage, she has to set off into the world by herself and designate herself to a specific town, becoming their town witch and dedicating their services to that said time. Um, what I really like about this is Kiki is a really young, naive character, and it's definitely a film that's not plot-driven. It's very meandering in a good way. It's more of like a day in the life trials and misadventures of a young girl learning about various lessons in life as she tries to make it in this in this very overwhelming time. I get loads of themes of loneliness, uh, independence, dealing with disappointment. Yeah, probably doesn't sound like a recipe for a comforting movie. But um, yeah, it, it's a Ghibli film. So it's so lovely to look at. It's gentle to a T. And it's uh, it's the equivalent of probably taking the most relaxing stroll you've ever had through a beautiful old European town. It's, it's just so chilled out and zen something i like to stick on whenever i feel the world around me is getting probably too suffocating 
just like it is now. Um, it's definitely something to stick on during a rainy day, and it always recenters me in tough times. Uh, I've got a I've got a confession to make, Chris. I have only seen two Ghibli films. Uh, one of them being Spirited Away, and the other being My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, as somebody oh. who hasn't seen Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, is it like either of those films? It's probably it's not as epic or sweeping, and it's it's a definitely a fan it's a fantasy movie, and it's set in a fictional world that's sort of different and has parallels to our own, and that's kind of that's a present theme in a lot of uh, Miyazaki's work. But it's a lot more it's a lot more mundane, but in a good way. And for me, the best Ghibli works are more of those mundane pieces where it just gets it gets the day to day life stuff so perfect, and it's just there's no rushiness to the plot. You just kind of go along for the ride, and you find a lot of similarities yourself in the characters. And yeah, it's it's such a lovely film. The score is great. Characters are amazing. I, I it's one of those rare Japanese Ghibli films. That I actually prefer the dub to the, to the subtitled version. Um, the dub version is was done by Disney and is voiced by Kirsten Dunst as Kiki. And oh um, yeah, yeah. I, think I heard about that. Yeah, and uh, legendary SNL actor Phil Hartman uh, voiced the cat. Um, Gigi. So yeah, he he throws in a really good sarcastic turn in the voice acting role. But yeah, it's one of those super chilled out movies, and I just put it on anytime I feel like just chilling out and not really concentrating on something too taxing. It's a great movie. That's great. I uh, I need to see Kiki's Delivery Service. I've actually had it on a list for a while. My friend at work is a is a big Ghibli fan, and uh, I think she listens to the podcast. So shout out to Holly. But she has uh, <laughs> she's she good taste. She wrote a list for me of Ghibli films probably a year ago now, and I haven't got round to the any thing of them, is, so I'm very bad at this. The thing is, if you're nervous about getting into Ghibli films, don't be. You literally can't go wrong with any of them. They are all really good movies, bar none. I think probably on my letterbox, I've seen all the all all the Ghibli films, and my lowest rated one is a four. <laughs> it, so they're you, they're that good. Do you do you dub? Uh, or are you a subtitle guy? Obviously, you know that Chris and Dunce, Kirsten Dunce is in, uh, in Kiki's mm-hmm. Delivery Service, so clearly you dubbed for this one, but what's your thoughts on Ghibli as a whole? Do you subtitle or dub? I always subtitle first and dub later. I always end up watching both versions of the same thing. I own all of the collection on Blu-ray, so I'm a really, I am a super fan of, uh, of Ghibli, but um as far as dubbing goes, it's some of the best dubbing out there. As I said, the whole the whole catalog was um was invested by Disney. John Lasseter met with Miyazaki, John Lasseter from Pixar, and um he spent a lot of money dubbing all of the Ghibli films into English. And um yeah, they're really well done, as you could expect from Disney's uh very deep pockets. So my number five, uh, though I do just want to specify that this isn't ranked. It's just kind of five films. Uh, good because that's the same for me I, I, I couldn't yeah. really rank them because it, it depends on the day right yeah we should have maybe spoken about that I wasn't really sure it just I just picked five out of the air it adds um, to the suspense yeah yeah this I, I mean this was the last one I thought of this is one where I was like what else gives me comfort and then uh, I think I was scrolling through Letterboxd and I was like oh my god of course that film how could I forget and it's <laughs> it's the Muppets 2011, the Jason Segal kind of reboot of the Muppets. There's no shame there. I'm a 
big Muppets fan. I'll, I'll, I'll take that one on the chin. The Muppets, they'd been gone for a while before this film had come out, and they really kind of came back onto the scene in style. It's a reboot. It's a getting a back. It's getting the gang back together again. Yeah, it's yeah. It's full of uh, brilliant songs, lots of references, a, a really heartwarming story, and just it's really, really funny. Um, Oscar nominated worthy, Oscar nominated songs that are very much worthy of of of, of that title. Man or Muppet has got to be an all time all time classic. <laughs> I I regularly listen to the soundtrack of this film because it do you really? So, it brings me so much joy, Chris. It really does. I you know, it really just brings a massive smile on my face. So if you want to make me the happiest person in the world, sit me down and watch the Muppets with me. That is, you know, and and yes, Muppets 2011 is my favorite, but all the Muppet films are great. All of them. Oh, that's that's a really good pick. I love the Muppets 2011. Um, I but probably for me, I would even argue the next movie I even enjoy even more, which is Muppets Most Wanted. I, I'm a big fan of that one too. Oh, you like that one more? Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, see, I, I that one again. I like it, um, but it's got nothing on the Muppets, if you ask me. It's not got <laughs> as good a song. Uh, it's or songs, it's the plural. It's the Star Wars Force Awakens of uh, the Muppets, isn't it? But in a good way. It, it, it is everything you like and reintroducing these characters and really bringing them back. And yeah, I, that movie brings a smile to my face anytime I put it on as well. It's it's the kind of comedy, and this might come up again later. Uh, that really, really makes me smile. It's that kind of dumb, stupid, lowbrow humor, but that's actually quite smart. You uh, yeah, know? it's like it's stupid. witty. It's witty. There's a yeah. wittiness. It's stupid, but it's witty, and uh, it's that kind of humor that always makes me giggle. Yeah, I think you have to have a really good funny bone in you or a really good natured soul to really get the Muppets and really appreciate it too. If, if you're somebody who doesn't like the Muppets, I'm not sure if I really want to know you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't I can't say that on this podcast because uh, my fiance is somebody who doesn't like the Muppets. So we'll just leave it at that. But oh, I res- I'm so I res- sorry, Emma. I'm so sorry. I do like, I do like, you. I take it back. I do like you. <laughs> I respect your decision to not like the Muppets, Em. It's all good. It's all good. I see. I can see me and Alex are on a video chat right now. I can just see him holding up a sign saying, help me. <laughs> <laughs> blink twice alex if you want to be saved <laughs> we're all good we're all good we've come past uh we've come past that discussion on the muppets and uh we're in we're in a good place now oh i'm up for reopening that wound anytime <laughs> I, I enjoy a bit of anarchy the muppets are great and uh <laughs> we'll leave it at that okay okay well let's uh i'll go into my number four now if uh if you're <laughs> if you're finished with that um my number four pick is from legendary 80s and 90s comedy writer and director Harold Ramis. A little movie called Groundhog Day. Yeah, okay. So, okay. So, Groundhog Day starring none other than Bill Murray. Have you heard of him? Heard of him? Um, This is quite a small actor, isn't he? I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very up and coming. Um. Yeah, he, he he's good. He's he's a guy. He's very good at improv. I I'm pretty sure he'll be big one day. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel everyone would understand that this pick is a no brainer, right? Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. 
Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, he hasn't seen the film, the plot centers around uh, Bill Murray's character. He's a self-centered weatherman called Phil, uh, as he finds himself trapped in a small town of uh, Poxitani uh, and is forced to endure the same day over and over again. Yeah, I, I love Groundhog Day, man. I mean, not only because it has one of the most Murray-esque performances in history, and some of what I can only assume is is improv work. It's absolutely chuckle-inducing stuff. But also because it's a movie, despite coming out of the shadows of the 1980s, was not afraid of really challenging its audience uh, with ambiguity of the situation and instead observes the character trying to navigate his way uh, through this predicament for the duration of the movie and often really, really hilarious ways. Um, It's one of those, you know, whenever it's on TV... And no matter if it's a 10 minutes in or halfway through the movie, I'll always throw it on and end up watching the rest of it because it just, you can always pick it up from whenever. Um, I watched this movie for the first time when I was a teenager um, and when I really started getting into film and I really started to appreciate cinema. This is one I would stick on every night at one point for a whole year. I think I watched it like 365 days that year. Um, you really were in Groundhog Day. I, I yeah. I'd never thought about it in that meta way. There you go. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I love Groundhog Day and um, yeah, I, I can watch that movie over and over again. It's just so funny. The one-liners from, from Murray is brilliant. The, the narcissism, the cynicism from him is is just on point. And yeah, it's an iconic movie and everybody should check it out. If you haven't checked it out, where have you been? Watch Groundhog Day. Get off this podcast right now and watch Groundhog Day, right? It set a precedent as well for that kind of time loop film. There have been so many copycats that are always kind of advertised as, oh, this is Groundhog Day meets a horror film. This is Groundhog Day meets this. And um, not many films like create a genre for themselves, really. Exactly what I was going to say. It created its own genre. It's like a benchmark. It's like, oh, when people say like, oh, it's they're just trying to do Star Wars or they're just trying to do Groundhog Day. It comes as one of those movies that comes up in conversation. It's just an absolutely classic. For sure. What's your number four pick, Alex? My number four pick. Uh, I'm between two. Let me think. I'm going to go for, and this is a bit of a, this is a bit of a, a weird pick. I think, I think you'll think it's weird. Uh, portrait of a lady on fire. There's nothing, there's nothing what? happy about this film. <laughs> <laughs> what? But well, you said you're saying right. You're bunged up with the flu. You're sitting at home. You feel absolutely shitty. I'm gonna stick on portrait of a lady on fire. Just, just hear me out. Hear me out. This is relatively new to the comfort films because it only came out uh, 2019. Yeah, I think it's a very recent. Start of 2020 for us. Um, it was the last. Uh, well, it was the film I watched in the cinema just before we went into lockdown. So it kind of ha- held that kind of like, oh wow, it might not get better than this um, kind of feeling for me. <laughs> but this, uh, there's a kind of, there's a romantic inside me that enjoys the the kind of warmth and um, of 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 kind of like a forbidden love. Two people falling for each other, um, and not maybe not it staying to the very end because of certain circumstances, but there's a longing that really kind of takes my breath away. And I love the ending. And sometimes there's some catharsis in having a good cry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like like the ending does make me cry, but it's not, it's not just a sad cry. There's, 
it, it kind of just it's, it just washes over me and and it kind of makes me feel fresh again and it, it is I, a so, it is probably one of the better endings in recent memory it's I would like agree sitting it's like sitting by a warm fire and there's just something kind of old-timey there's an atmosphere around it and i just like to let it wash over me i just i can snuggle up in a blanket and watch this film Interesting. i know it's not happy i know it's not happy but it does bring me comfort and rife with tension as well yeah yeah i mean when you've seen it you know what happens but you know you can enjoy seeing those characters come together um yeah, I, I really, I can, I can grab a hot chocolate and watch this film and just kind of enjoy the aesthetic, the way it is just a painting come to life on screen. Um, yeah, I love, I love just being in this film. Wow, Alex coming out, coming out with the curveballs here. I feel a lot more conventional with my, with my picks. Um, oh my god, Alex, um, have you, <laughs> have you seen this movie? It's a little movie that's came out called planes trains and automobiles yeah i have seen planes trains and automobiles <laughs> and yeah it's, it's really really funny and really really good i love i'm a big john hughes fan the brat pack all those guys i love it but this is my absolutely like crown jewel of john john hughes movies and um, it's the only comedy movie i can really think of that does that trick that every time i rewatch it even though i know every single joke off by heart that's coming that's coming into the film it always hits me as hard as it did the first time i watched it i mean you have two major major comedy geniuses here you got steve martin and john candy both in peak form martin playing this irritable chicago advertising worker called neil page who is desperately trying to get home for thanksgiving dinner um to his loathing his path consistently crosses with the annoying, albeit lovable, Del Griffith, played by Candy, um, who calls himself, he's a shower curtain salesman. He's a shower curtain ring salesman, or as he likes to call it, a shower curtain division specialist, <laughs> as he calls it. <laughs> um, yeah, the movie centers around both of them as they try to journey home through uh, a flurry of flight cancellations, extreme weather, uh, bad motel rooms, and just sheer bad luck. The dynamic uh, between Martin and Candy is just iconic um, as we have this very reserved and very bothered um, Martin performance being bombarded with unwanted conversations and bad jokes. And even though the movie is hilarious from start to finish, there is still this underlying theme of uh, goodwill, unexpected friendship and making the most of bad situations. And if you ever think your day is going really, really bad or horribly, please, I, I really urge you just to stick on planes, trains and automobiles. I promise your day is not going as bad as these guys. Yeah, I mean, the kind of comedy of errors, the situation just getting worse and worse, Steve Martin just getting more annoyed and more annoyed. And oh, but his, it's, his, it's, his facial, facial reactions in the movie are so good. It's the way the film ends that ties it up, ties up that bow of these two together and, the, and brings home... Because it doesn't always feel like a Christmas movie, but the ending really ties it together and is like, this is what Christmas is about. 
it's about being there for other people it's about yeah. being there for your family and and, and just spending time together well even um, though it's a thanksgiving movie like you said like it's something i put on oh thanksgiving did i say no, christmas that's okay, oh, it's, man, okay. it's been a but while <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you say that though because even though it's a thanksgiving movie it feels like a christmas movie it feels like yeah. something you put on a christmas um it, it has that spirit to it no like uh, that makes sense i think most people remember it as a christmas movie do you know what? I honestly, I, it's been a few years since I've seen it. Um, I honestly thought it was a Christmas movie. So there you go. But I guess it's got those kind of themes and it's mm-hmm. got those kind of emotions with it. Um, and Christmas films are the great, great kind of get together films to watch. Um, so it would make sense that it, it would uh, come into your list. Oh, I'm really glad that you share your my appreciation for for the film. Uh, yeah, definitely rewatch it. So it's uh, one of those ones I stick on once or twice at least a year. It's 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 awesome. I'm gonna go for just one more sad pick. All right, just let me have one more sad pick. But it's not sad. It's not sad, but it does kind of bring the same kind I'm of really feelings. Worried about you? <laughs> Don't worry. The last two are happy. I swear. I swear. Um, it does kind of bring the same feelings. Okay. Uh, as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, maybe this is revealing more about me. Uh, Please don't tell me it's Annette. <laughs> it's not Annette. It's not Annette. Uh, it could have been. No, no. Um, it's Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise. Oh, that, no, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Yeah, yeah. it's not as uh, kind of sad an ending as Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's got more of a... Oh, I'm I'm yearning once more to know are these two gonna be, gonna be together? But there's there's something about this film, and especially in a time when we can't travel or travel is limited, mm-hmm. to see just two people walking around a foreign city, yeah, you know, coming together for the first time. Uh, it's it's kind of this one off, this big kind of almost like a a butterfly effect moment um, when Ethan Hawke asked Julie Depley to to you know, jump off the train with him and spend a day with him in Austria. Um, and they walk and they talk. And that is really is just a walk and talk film. They they they, they stroll around the city mm-hmm. and they just kind of have these, you know, semi-profound philosophical conversations that Linklater loves. Yeah. But um they it never goes too it never goes too snobby. It does feel natural, especially for Ethan Hawke. Um, as they kind of get to know each other and 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 definitely create this kind of lustful relationship but but because you spend it's nearly in real time the sequel to this film is in real time but this one isn't um but it almost feels like it is and you Mm -hmm. spend so much time with these characters you start to take them on and you you want them to get together you are feeling the feelings that they feel for each other and uh, it really kind of the ending of the film just leaves you in a way it takes my breath away Mm -hmm. that they might meet again yeah. And obviously, if you watch the sequels, you can find out more. But there's something about that first film. It, it kind of takes me back to when I was younger and, and you're kind of first falling in love. And, and those kind of feelings that come with it, that kind of like, oh, I, I don't know if this is going to work. I, uh, you know, we're, we're young and all this kind of stuff, that, that kind of longing and, and, and the, the kind of the that kind of thing that, you know, keeps you up at night sometimes. But um yeah, it really speaks to the like inner romantic and in everybody, doesn't it? You watch it and you kind of live vicariously through watching the movie. Um, I agree with you. It's it's the, I think it's the strongest of the three movies. It's just a yeah, it, it encapsulates what what we like to see in ourselves and see in our partners, and it, it's it's like the ideal first 
first dead date and opening. It's very, it's very romantic and naturalistic, as you say. And it's one of those movies that sticks with you forever. Yeah, not to sound like an incel, but it it makes me nostalgic for like young love. You know, it, no, it's no, that I kind of nostalgia. <laughs> and it, and, <laughs> but... and especially when you mentioned at the beginning about um, how how separate it feels from us now that we're you know, especially the last two years of COVID, it feels like it feels like a complete fantasy. You're watching something that is just so unobtainable and so romantic and so. Like, will we ever get back to that? And, you know, hopefully we will get back to those sort of lovely lawn strolls in Europe and with with our loved ones and kind of having philosophical musings and not worrying about all the crap that's going on in the world right now. And yeah, yeah the, um, Before Sunrise is a, is a great movie to remind you of what the world can be like whenever it's on good form. It's the perfect holiday. And I, uh, yeah. yeah, I want to go back to it. And we will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I promise you. It gets happier from here. Don't worry about me. Just some films, you know, you just want <laughs> that cathartic cry and uh, and Portrait of Lady on Fire and Before Sunrise. I need them, you know. Sometimes I just need to watch them. Um, but yeah, it gets happier. I promise, Chris. Um, right, going into my last two. These are probably the least conventional picks of my two. And probably for people who don't know me will probably think they're a little strange. <laughs> Uh, but bear with me i do have reasons for it uh the first of these is disney's 1959 sleeping beauty okay okay interesting okay so as i said perhaps to some this might appear to be a strange choice for a 20 something man to cling to a 1950s <laughs> disney princess movie um but this is this is just one of my favorite it's my favorite disney film of all time i i think it's mostly due to the fact that it's mostly a, vis- a visually interesting piece of animation that um, it's probably the most cutting edge thing that came out and around that time during the 1950s. The visuals are very gothic, thanks to this very um, contemporary design from from artist even um, our Earl, who worked on the film, almost giving the movie the feeling of watching like a medieval tapestry like come into life in in motion. And um, marry this together with the incredibly timeless. And beautiful and sometimes very creepy orchestral score borrowed from Tchaikovsky's original ballet really adds up to make what is really, I would say, one of the most stunning animated movies ever made. The film is generally has always fascinated me as it was one of the most it was one of those movies that almost bankrupt Walt Disney. The budget for the film at the time, Alex, was six million dollars at the time, which translates today, I think, into about sixty million dollars. So crazy, crazy production length as well. I think upwards of six years in production. This movie was six years. The voiceovers for all the actors were recorded in 1952. The movie didn't come out till 1959. It is absolutely bonkers. Um, so Walt, Walt actually, Walt Disney built his entire conception of Disneyland California around the hype for this movie and almost bankrupt him completely. But yeah, but like if I'm, but the movie is just so great. I mean, it's just such a visual, interesting masterpiece. It's kind of like the animated version of How the West Was Won, where you just get this showcase for Panavision and it's wide angles and it's, it's a beautiful piece of piece of film. But yeah, if I'm ever struggling to fall asleep, I just stick this bad boy on the TV and let the lush visuals and music wash over me, and I'm straight to sleep like a baby. Who who knew you were so full of 
Sleeping Beauty trivia, Chris. I, I was not aware of how much you love this film. I I mean, I've seen it. It's been a while, though. I'm, I'm just going to chuck it out there because I, I, I don't want to uh, belittle your comfort film here. But when I was younger, and this is when I last saw it, it was never one of the Disney princess films that I wanted to put on. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of that kind of lasting memory in my mind is like, oh, this is the the slow one. This is the one that's not as good as Do you the know, other and it's, ones. It's only about 70 minutes long as well. Is it? There you go. There you go. I, I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is, but there's something about Sleeping Beauty that uh, just reminds me that I wasn't as big a fan as some of the other animated Disney films when it came out. However, I have not seen it since being a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and I respect your decision to have it as uh, one of your comfort films. I, I think you'd be surprised by how beautiful it looks. I think now today with your, with, with your movie sort of cap on that your your mind that it is now I, I think if you put it on you'd really appreciate the visuals at least probably not the story the story has got its limitations of being a very 1950s um driven sort of story but visually and audio and audio wise you can't fault it it's um it's a great piece of art do you know what? i think next time i watch it i think i need you to sit next to me and just frame by frame uh, sleeping beauty <laughs> trivia to me whilst i whilst i watch it because i feel that's gonna be the only way uh oh. that i enjoy it so much because i did not know any of the things you uh you, you just mentioned on the podcast and i've got loads more but i don't people would <laughs> I would be sending people to sleep <laughs> future bonus episode is uh Chris's... bonus episode yes <laughs> yeah yeah your commentary on sleeping beauty everybody press play at the same time guys we're gonna watch sleeping beauty and guys i've got so many facts we have to watch the movie three times <laughs> <laughs> go on alex what's your number two Oh, my number two. All right, it gets better from here, Chris. I, um, my number two is The Avengers. Oh. I uh, I made myself only put one Marvel film on this list because I'm a big Marvel guy at heart, and all those films are comfort films, really. But the original mm. Avengers takes me back to a time, 10 years ago now, because it has been 10 years this year, uh, that I did not believe this film would ever happen. I, I thought there's no way they're going to bring these characters together. This seems like a, a, a massive undertaking. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think it would happen. So seeing it in the cinema and seeing characters that I'd fallen in love with uh, through comic books and then video games and then through their solo films, uh, Marvel really changed the landscape of cinema with this. Uh, for better or worse, some may say, but <laughs> there's something so joyous about this film. It feels, uh, it feels like an absolute roller coaster of 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 excitement as mm-hmm. they they gather the team together, um, and then at the end, truly avenge uh, what ends up being Phil Coulson and and saving the world from from Loki. But oh man. 10 years ago i was so ecstatic to see this in the cinema i was such a nerd i still am but nothing will ever recreate the feeling of 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 seeing these characters on the screen for the first time Uh, we've almost become numb to the idea of of seeing lots of superheroes and yeah and 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 stuff on the screen now that it doesn't feel like it did 10 years ago uh but man i'd want to get that feeling back i've seen the avengers 
a hundred times. I swear. A <laughs> hundred? Probably. I've seen wow. it so many times. Uh, it accompanied me as I went to uni. It was a big film for me at uni. I used to sit down with my mates and, and watch the Avengers and really try and convert everybody into the into the <laughs> into the Marvel <laughs> fandom. Um, really, I don't think that's much of a struggle, though. I mean, everybody loves Marvel, right? Yeah, but it, I, I think not everybody was as aware of these films before mm-hmm. before Tell the me. Avengers. I think it was from this point that it really started kicking off. Yeah, um, you're talking and, 20, 2012. This was right. Yeah, I mean this this one was the first out of the Marvel films, you know, from Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Hulk. Like none of them were making a billion, and then from here mm. on out, it was just like big bucks all day, every day. To yeah. the point now where we're getting like four films a year, three TV shows. Like it's gotten a bit ridiculous, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit sensory overload at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I, I, I kind of feel guilty because I recognize that it is sensory overload. I recognize that these kind of blockbuster films have have completely uh, torn away the idea of a of like a mid ground film. Now, there's there's no mid budget films. There's you get small indies, you get big blockbusters, and everything in between probably just goes to Netflix these days. Um, I kind of recognize what it's done to that cinematic existence but i can't help but go watch them on opening night every time because oh man i love these characters and i love seeing Mm -hmm. that they're being realized on the big screen so yeah avengers just really is the kind of tipping point for for the crazy world we're in now and uh yeah no i love it i I get i get that and probably re-watching that movie for you is like it transports you back to time where it was new where it was exciting yeah. Um it really laid the foundations, didn't it, for what the Marvel DNA is now. Um perhaps we yeah, it's oversaturated now, but back then it was really exciting. I remember going and seeing it for the first time with my friends in the cinema and we just we absolutely laughed it up. I mean, we were we were watching when it came out on DVD or Blu-ray, uh, we were just watching it like week after week when it came out, we couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you had the same experience as me with that one then because it really was. It was it was mad. I couldn't believe it when I watched it. And uh yeah, no, I I, I cling to that feeling every time I, I put it back on the TV. Uh there's been a bit of discourse on it on uh, film Twitter, because I know you're not on Twitter, Chris. Uh, mm-hmm. not yet. But um uh, because it's coming up to the ten years, people are kind of reminiscing and saying that it's one of the worst looking Marvel films. What are your thoughts on that? I, I disagree. I, I think it looks great. Um, oh, I, I if not slightly weird format. Yes. Uh, you know, Joss Whedon came from TV. So there's people say it looks more like a TV movie, but I think it really makes the special effects um, really kind of uh, splashy and nice. Like I think it's the best Iron Man's looked and I, and the Hulk looks incredible. Um, yeah. We have that IMAX format, don't we? During, during the the bulk of the action of the movie i i think the movie has a very james cameron look to it mm-hmm. it has this very there's a lot of blues but yeah like i said there's a lot of clarity to the image and the sets do have that sort of avatar look i think those two movies are very visually in tandem with each other um interestingly that even though they're four four years apart whenever i watch i watch avengers i'm always like oh yeah this one this is the one that looks like a james cameron movie to me but yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not against how it looks visually at all i i'm i was i watched it recently and i was really up for it and i thought the special effects lived up even better to some of the more recent marvel movies yeah yeah i i don't think they've gotten hulk um 
as good as they have in the Avengers since. Really. Looks great. Um, he does look good in Endgame, but yeah, no, he looks he looks amazing in the Avengers. They they really obviously. No, you you you, you find some solidarity with me there. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I guess that takes us to your number one, Chris. Uh, please, please let me know the final comfort film in your list. I'm excited to hear. Your excitement is going to be squashed. I mean, I'm I'm squirming already, but I I I gotta be true to myself, right? Gotta be is true it, to is self. Is it a Sleeping Beauty sequel? <laughs> it's the it's the yeah it's a, it's the documentary spinoff Waking Beauty. Yeah, um, no, no, this is you know what it is a Disney movie. It okay. is a Disney movie, but this is a live action Disney movie from the '90s, um, made by beloved female director and writer Nancy Myers. It's a little movie called The Parent Trap, the remake, 1998, with Lynn starring Lindsay Lohan. Oh man, I wish I could share my excitement, but you you've picked so many comfort films I haven't seen. <laughs> oh, I'm so, why have you not seen this? You obviously did not grow up in a house of women like I did, right? I feel like maybe The Parent Trap was on TV at one point. Um, if you had Disney Channel, it was on all the time. It depends. Depends what years. I so, I sometimes had the Disney Channel. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a weird one. A weird we had one. it on VHS in our house, and it was on rotation all the time. So, like, yeah. So, arguably, my guilty pleasure um, of of my list. Um, you could put, but I I think you could put any of Nancy Meyer's movies or any of her filmography onto a top five list because her movies are just so laced with these incredibly likable good looking characters and not to mention some of the most gorgeous interior set designs you're ever going to get out of any major hollywood comedy the um the story um if you're unfamiliar um it follows two pre-teenage girls annie who's uh who comes from london and hallie who comes from california so they both happen to be going to the same summer camp in the usa um of all the summer camps in the usa they both meet up here um meeting by complete accident before realizing that they are both identical twins separated at birth after their parents split up um hallie lives with dad dennis quaid who is especially hot in this movie and annie who lives with mum natasha richardson and um, they agree to switch places at the end of summer camp in an effort to bring their parents back together and obviously hijinks and so um i mean the movie is an is an art but it has many memorable moments packed in it with uh, great performances by quaid and um liam neeson's late wife natasha richardson she's 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 really regal and elegant in this movie now I was born in the late, in the mid '90s, but grew up as the youngest of, I, I, as I said, three siblings. Uh, my two older sisters were big fans of the movie, and like inherit, I inherited their love of this by proxy. So many iconic lines were thrown around the household. Um, yeah, impre- it's it's really impressive movie with the doubling of Lindsay Lohan as a special effect is actually really done well here and still holds up to today. And yeah, it's just an apologetically good time. So, do you recommend that I should watch this film, Chris? I think it'd be a really good drunk commentary watch. Okay, okay. So you're creating another bonus episode here oh, after yeah. a- after you uh, after you, you spit out some trivia for <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. We're gonna get drunk <laughs> and watch the Parent Trap. This is an interesting double bill. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you'll love it. I mean, it's it's one of those movies that just like it grabs you from the beginning. I mean, as soon as the movie opens, you just get this opening credit scene of a cruise ship um just getting by the water and this opening of a, a Nat King Cole's song L O V E playing underneath and immediately just eases you into this into this movie and just kind of feeling ah I feel relaxed. I'm watching a nice movie right now and I, I feel like I'm ten years old again. I love it. Talking of being ten years old, hmm? uh this this film that I'm gonna talk about now, my number one. Uh, feels like maybe the humour is for 10 year olds. Chris, I know you've seen this film because I watched it with you. Uh, not for I'm... the first time though, I, I believe I showed it to you. Uh, it is MacGruber. Oh, I love MacGruber! Yeah, yeah. So, this is <laughs> honestly a comedic masterpiece. MacGruber, 2010. <laughs> Uh, not every, it kind of like went under the radar a little bit. It's directed by um, Yuma Takone, or mm-hmm. Takone, um, who's like one third of the Lonely Island crew with Andy oh, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and it stars Will Forte as MacGruber, who is basically a Mickey take of MacGyver. Um, and he's kind of like this ex-special ops guy who's called back yeah. into action uh, to, to take down a villain who's in possession of a nuclear warhead. Uh, and it's just it's just brilliant. It's it's got Will Forte, like I said, Kristen Wiig, Val Kilmer's in it, uh, Maya Rudolph, and it is stupid. It is ridiculously <laughs> stupid. It kind of it's history comes from SNL, and we yes. don't really get SNL over here. So like, I hadn't really seen any of sketches. I don't know about you. So I just kind of went into this film just hoping for something funny. And what I got was just one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And I instantly become happy every time I chuck this film on. And I remember you came around my place one time, Chris, and we're thinking of something to watch. And we'd had a few beers and we chucked on Mm -hmm. MacGruber. And uh, it it was a brilliant time. It was a brilliant time. Now, I've got some trivia. I've got some trivia. Do you know who also shares my opinion of MacGruber? Uh, Christopher Nolan loves MacGruber. I would not. I would not like think of Nolan as being like in the top fans of like MacGruber. That just does. That's so far away from his wheelhouse. So it's been a while. It's been over ten years, and we never got a sequel. There were talks about it, um, and then last year into this year, they've released a TV show for MacGruber, and Christopher Nolan wrote them a note because they invited him to the reading of the pilot, and he wrote them a note saying like, you know. There's a lot of anticipation here and stuff like this. I can get the note up if you want, but it's just like <laughs> a lot of responsibility hangs on your shoulders and stuff like this. Whoa, he's like, don't mess up. This is my thing. <laughs> I think he definitely me- meant it in a jokey way. Um, <laughs> but I, it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, I love that he loves it. And I just think it's brilliant. And I don't know if you've seen the TV show. I haven't finished it yet. I'm, I'm making my way through it it captures that feeling of the film so well. Like, because it's been so long, you don't mind that they're kind of redoing the jokes with a bit of a twist um, because it just brings you back to that feeling. I can't believe they've captured the magic of MacGruber, but Will Forte is just, he's a genius. (laughs) He plays a dumb guy so well. Yeah. Um, And it's such lowbrow humor. It's just full of ridiculous jokes, but oh my 
God, do they make me laugh. It is full of ridiculous jokes, but it really rewards the viewer who is a cinephile. I mean, if you're a big fan of the of those Arnie movies and those Sylvester Stallone movies from the 80s and 90s, you're really going to get a kick out of it. You're going to be on the wavelength from the start and you're, you're going to have a great time. He's like the most incompetent, you know, special ops guy, <laughs> uh, but somehow makes it through all the time. Oh, and he's also got this thirst for ripping people's throats out. It's ridiculous. And the the whole time the film teases you, like, he rips throats. You're like, no, he doesn't. Oh, man, he does, obviously. And he's good at it. It's so stupid. I love it. <laughs> I think people will probably, if they haven't caught up with McGruber by now, I think now's a really good time now that the SNL is bleeding more into Europe now. We are a bit more aware of it than we were, like, say, 10 years ago. So I think it's a great movie for people to catch up with. Yeah, plus it's just one of those comedies that you might not have seen because it kind of went under the radar and um, guaranteed... 10 belly laughs at yeah. least i'm just gonna chuck it out there um and and please watch the tv show it's on now tv because i want 10 seasons of mcgruber i want 10 seasons it's just i can't get enough of it well i gotta catch up with that too because I, I i need to help support your dreams alex help support my dreams and help support christopher nolan's dreams chris all right <laughs> But I'm definitely not going to be sticking on Portrait of a Lady, Lady on Fire anytime I'm feeling a bit teary or upset. Oh, come on. It makes you yearn for love. <laughs> oh, I just got the note up uh, that Christopher Nolan wrote for the McGruber TV show. Yeah, yeah. So he said, because uh, they invited him to the, to the read-through, he said, though I can't be there in person to watch you take the first step of your odyssey. Know that my spirit soars with you. And whilst it's perhaps unfair to add to the great sense of responsibility you must already feel, I'm duty bound to tell you the world is waiting. The world is watching. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. If you took that the wrong way, I mean, that is, that is some pressure on your hands, right? It's, it's because they, um, I think in a, in like a DGA dinner, so the director's guild, um, uh, Yorma went up to Christopher Nolan and said that like if they do a sequel they'd love to do it so at the end it says directed by Christopher Nolan and but then have an asterisk that says like oh actually no it was it was it was me who directed it and he was <laughs> and he, he I think he was into the idea so yeah no I, I I it just I love that bit of trivia that's a really good I did not know about it I'm thank you so much for introducing me into McGruber without you I probably would have uh being oblivious to it forever i'm gonna segue here chris i'm gonna segue you ready for this all right chris for nolan on gas here alex chris for nolan directed the dark knight Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a new batman film coming out there's a new batman movie coming out a new batman movie coming out and by the time of this recording it's already come out uh what do you say we review it for our next episode is it is it like is it a sequel or is it like a new movie is it the batman it's the Batman. It's a new movie, and it looks great. And starring one of my favorites, Robert Pattinson. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think it's definitely one we got to stick on there. I think next week we will probably have to discuss about it. Edward Cullen himself. Yeah, because that's all he did. That's his last movie. His last movie was Twilight, and now he's just he's been away for ten years. Now he's doing Batman. Yeah, he's done nothing yeah, yeah. else. 
he did Twilight, and then before that, he did like Harry Potter, and that was it. Nothing else. That's it. Nothing yeah. cool or grimy or or no. weird. No, no weird. He hasn't spent any time no. in a white house with Willem Dafoe. No, no, no time uh, trying to take his uh, disabled brother out of a hospital to sell drugs. I can't remember the plot of, <laughs> of a good yeah. time. It was something to do with that. <laughs> Well, if you want to hear us discuss about uh, the Batman, you can uh, certainly tune into next week's episode. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed t- listening to our top fives, uh, give us a comment, uh, like or subscribe on our on our uh, on our podcast on Instagram or on Spotify. Um, if you have a top five favorite com- comfort film or or a list of comfort films, please comment below. We'd like to hear. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd love to know what everybody's was. Do you want to? Go back through. What was your list from five to one? Just to remind everybody, so everybody can write those films down and uh, and go watch them. Um, the list of shame was Kiki's Delivery Service by Hayao Miyazaki, Groundhog Day by Harold Remus, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, John Hughes movie, Sleeping Beauty, and lastly, The Parent Trap, nineteen ninety eight, not the original, the remake. And oh, now I've got a. Alex has already forgotten what his five movies were. No, I just don't know who directs all of them. (laughs) So, mine was uh, number five, The Muppets, directed by James Bobin. Then it was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, directed by Celine Siama. Then it was Before Sunrise, directed by Richard Linklater. Then it was The Avengers, uh, directed by Joss Whedon. And finally, it was MacGruber, directed by Yorma Tacone. <laughs> great picks, great picks. Well, that's it for the film angle. Thank you for listening. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. Goodbye. <laughs>